So today we continue with our uh, discussion and our uh, inspiration from the Bhagavad Gita, and we're still working on chapter two. Uh, so Arjuna has gone through kind of his dark night of the soul at the beginning of this chapter. He is confused uh, and kind of has given up and finally is saying, I really don't, I really don't know what's happening here. I'm really confused. I don't know what to do. And so he's asking Krishna, higher consciousness, for some guidance, what to do. And of course, uh, we, we remember that this is a, a metaphor. This is a story of, this is all of our story. This is the story of, of this quest to be awake, quest for spiritual understanding and growth. And uh, some people come to this path and they are, literally at their wits end they are really in the dark night of the soul they're suffering uh, life is not working it's very challenging and so so many come to the spiritual path out of desperation and uh and so the, you know they they are much deeper into the arjuna mode and for some my experience was uh much easier much gentler i feel so blessed i mean my life has been just many blessings, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, so when I came to this path, I wasn't looking for anything. I always had a very strong spiritual uh, connection from the time I was very, very young. I was raised Catholic in the Catholic Church, and I remember sitting in the church, and especially at high mass when they'd have the chanting in Latin and the uh, incense burner and all the fancy, uh, you know, vestments and, and everything was, ha and I would just be sitting there in tears, tears would be just rolling down my face and just to feel this energy, whatever it is, I don't, I couldn't explain it. And it was very embarrassing. I mean, to be seven, eight, 10 years old and to be sitting there and uncontrolled tears, or, you know, you try to hide that because that's not very manly. Um, and, and so I didn't never understood, but I felt it. I knew that there was something here, some connection. And then I went on when I was oh, 10 or 11 years old and became an altar boy. So I was actually participating in the mass and, you know, the magical ritual. And, and back then in those days, this is dating myself, but um, the mass was all in Latin. And the altar boys would have memorized the response. So the priest would say his piece and then the altar boy would respond. Now the whole congregation, it's an interactive thing. But so I had to memorize the mass and the Latin part. And, and so, and it was always, you know, there was always some juice there. It was always meaningful. And, uh, and then I remember in, you know, early in high school when I had considered briefly, very briefly, but I had considered, uh, joining the monastery, becoming a monk, you know, becoming a Jesuit or one of the Catholic monks. And, and I thought that would be something that was called. It was a calling. But I was also called to be a surfer and to race motorcycles and other things. So, um, so that, you know, that sort of came and went, uh, but always in the background. And I remember in those days, one of the, the teachings in the Catholic Church was you know, if you were a Catholic, you went to Catholic church and you did not go to a different uh, religion. You didn't go to somebody else's church. This was kind of a, a sin, you know, kind of what they said. 
And and I asked my mother about this. I said, you know, what about you know what about these these Jehovah's Witnesses that live across the street? And what about this? And what do they do? <coughs> and so. Uh, so my mother was a very, she was, you know, very devout Christian, very devout Catholic. Um, she said, well, let's go talk to the priest. So I went and we went and had a little conference and talked to the priest. And I asked him about this. And he said, well, well, go, you know, go see what they do. You know, find out. So he was very, you know, very uh, progressive. And and so I did. I went to different churches and, and went, you know, sat there through their ceremonies and rituals and just observed what was happening and nothing really resonated and the catholic church didn't really resonate either so i was i was gifted i was blessed with a, a very strong vata nature vata is inquisitive is creative is constantly you know sort of compulsively looking at new things new ideas you know processing information uh, i also have a very strong pitta constitution which gives me discernment and discrimination and kind of being able to cut through what's real and what's not real and i also have a very strong kapha almost tridoshic um, which gives sort of stick to it and the stamina you know and so and so i looked at these and explored these and when i graduated from high school um the, the catholic church no longer served its purpose because they could not answer my questions. The, the teachers and the priests, they, you know, I had questions like everybody has, you know, if God is all good, how come they're suffering? You know, how, do, how come babies die? This is, this doesn't make sense. So, so I got to the place where I just kind of was not religious, not, not spiritual. I always had that, that connection, but, uh, but religion just wasn't making it. So, <clears throat> So I just put that all aside and continued to live my life of, uh, you know, what a normal teenage kid does. And when I graduated from high school, I graduated into one of the probably most remarkable times on the planet, at least that I know of. And that is, uh, this was the late 60s. I graduated in 1965. I lived 45 minutes from Haight-Ashbury. So we were in the middle of a revolution a revolution in uh, awareness. So there was uh, protests and riots around race, around the war. The Vietnam War was raging, and I was, you know, kind of on one of the people who was uh, on the top of the list for being drafted and going off to war. And so protests were happening everywhere. And you know, the the, the theme of the day was make love, not war. You know, this war is, is foolishness, crazy. Um, and at the same time, um, cultural norms, you know, we were talking about flower power and throw away your necktie and stop all this formality. And, you know, let's have a world where everybody kind of just kind of just gets along, you know, where we can be peaceful and support each other. And it was very, you know, very optimistic um, time in those years and music changed music became very intense and interesting and complex and so you know they're still playing you know these stations are still playing the music that came out in those days from those early late 60s early 70s um, so there was a lot of transformation 
a lot of stuff going on and a lot of things to distract the attention, a lot of things to get the senses involved in. And I was in the middle of all that. And it was like, wow, this is very interesting, you know. And then 1970, I'm 23 years old. And this is about the time, by the way, 23, 24, is about the time when your brain finishes wiring itself up. So younger, you know, in your teenage years and late, even to late teenage years, early 20s, um, the frontal lobes have not fully become involved, have not become fully involved and wired up with the amygdala and the hypothalamus and these parts of the brain that are reactive, that are, you know, sensory input and stimulation. And the frontal lobes are the part of the brain that is able to, uh, to kind of balance that. It's, it's able to um, neutralize some of these impulses to um, bring some order and some rationality into life. Well, that part doesn't get wired up till at the end, and usually 23, 24 years old is when you begin to have some impulse control. So that's just why teenagers are a little bit out of control, and it's just because they don't have the mechanism yet. The machine's not working on, you know, not firing on eight cylinders, and so it's a little bit of problem. So, so I come to this place where the impulse control is starting to take over, and life, you know, through these, through, again, through just grace, blessings, nothing that I'm doing. I'm just, you know, wild and crazy, and. Uh, <clears throat> And here's this opportunity that comes together for me to take over the photographic department at the company I'm working for, which is huge. I mean, 80 acres, 3,000 employees, giant manufacturing facility, and they just hand me the job. And of course, I was always very artistic and, and loved photography. And so here I got this beautiful job. And immediately, as soon as I took this job, uh, I met the person who was the representative of Roy Davis in San Jose. And he gave me one of Roy's books, invited me to his meditation class, and, you know, opened my eyes completely. I was like, wow, this is perfect. You know, why didn't they teach us this in school? So I read Creative Imagination, and then This is Reality, which was an early commentary of Roy's on uh, the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, and the Bhagavad Gita. And so these were giving me clues, you know, these were uh, giving me some direction as to how to approach life. What, what can I do? How can I uh, improve myself, be in more control, and also move more in harmony with life? So this was, you know, this was very good. But at the same time, you know, this was my Arjuna phase because here I am on balanced on one's hand, um, you know, the spiritual path is saying <clears throat> that we need to resist the temptations of the senses. We need to quiet down the restless mind. There's too much stimulation. There's too much that is causing all these uh, limitations and the obstacles and the places where we get stuck, addictions, habits, bad behaviors. And, and so we really need to bring this under control to become disciplined, you know, and to stop the restless mind and the restless senses. And I, you know, and I'm marginal. I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, but I like to race motorcycles, you know, 
and and I, you know, I like don't mind driving up to San Francisco in the evening and watching the the Grateful Dead and and uh, you know uh, have a, a rock concert uh, a week every week or so and uh, you know and playing and enjoying. And so here, on one hand, here's all this opportunity for sensual pleasure and stimulation, and on the other hand, you know, be quiet, sit and meditate withdraw the attention from the senses and and what and this is beautiful i mean i sit and meditate and it's a wonderful experience and then i'm looking at this conversation about you know how much do i withdraw the sent my attention from the senses how much stimulation and sensory input is really damaging me or or standing in the way of this awakening and because this awakening that we talk about, we don't really know what it is. We just know, you know, kind of what they're talking about. It's sort of, it'll get better if you wake up. You'll be clearer. You won't have problems. The suffering will go away. And we go, well, yeah, I'd like to sign up for that. But, you know, what's the cost? What do, you know, what do I have to give up? And this is what Arjun is doing. See, Arjun is saying, you know, what's the... What's the price? You know, is the price getting rid of all my fun? I have to stop racing motorcycles and stop going to rock concerts and, and hanging out with my buddies. And, you know, what, what's the fun in that? See, I don't want to kill that in order to have this because, I, you know, even though I feel impelled, I feel just drawn to this. But at the same time, um, I don't have an experience of what that is. I just have sort of this sense that this is also important and so here we are and this is you know this is a constant process that we're doing we we you know we may have been <clears throat> the really uh wimpy arjuna in the beginning you know where we really just didn't know what to do and we're whining and complaining and, and and but as we grow and as we wake up we still have these issues you know we get better we get wiser, we have better discernment, we have more experience of being, and as we grow and as we wake up, the process becomes easier, our motivation is easier, but there's still these conditions that come up about, well, you know, fear, here I am, fear and, you know, worried about the future, what's going to happen? I, I, I went through, when I was, when I was in my uh, experimentation with consciousness really working you know, I told you working with creative imagination and and seeing how you know everything comes out of consciousness and if that's the case then we should be kind of masters of this and so <clears throat> I don't recommend this by the way but <clears throat> uh, for a time for about two years I took the spare tire out of the back of my car because I felt that it would imply that I would be getting a flat tire. If I had the spare tire in there, I might get a flat tire. If I didn't have the spare tire, then everything would be fine. So it's kind of like insurance. You know, insurance is like betting against yourself. I'm, be I'm betting that one of these big trees is going to fall on my house. So I pay, you know, $1,000 a year for insurance to bet against the fact that maybe someday the tree actually will fall and I'll get my money back, you know. So, um, 
so and I and insurance is good by the way I'm not not saying we should not be insured I'm just saying that when we start thinking about these things when we start opening our consciousness and going what's you know what's really happening here and am I getting too deep into fear anxiety worry all these things this is all Arjuna's conversation with Krishna see and so so I want to go back and uh, what we were talking about yesterday, and I want to actually read some of what Krishna says here. I mean, we've been kind of talking about it, but I think it's also useful to to have a little reading directly from the Gita. Because I think, because it's it's such a beautiful exposition and it's useful for us. So... <clears throat> um, so we'll we'll go toward toward the end of what we were talking about yesterday, and Krishna says, "You have a right to your actions, but never to your actions' fruits. You have a right to your action, but never to your actions' fruits. Act for action's sake, and don't be attached to inaction. So we're so don't be attached to the fruits of your action. Do what you do. Act what you act. Let your intuition inspire you." to move and to do whatever it is that you're doing in life, do that and don't be attached to the results. So we talked about this yesterday and don't be attached to inaction. So don't get stuck. Don't become to come at the place where you don't know what to do. So you just don't do anything. I've always found in my life that when I didn't know what to do, and there have been several times when this has come about when I wasn't sure what to do, then I would just do something. Just engage. There was a point where I, I had uh, I had some partners in a marketing company. We were doing direct response television commercials, national television commercials, and um, making pretty good money, and everything was rolling along well. And then uh, over a weekend, my partner, unbeknownst to me, he'd gotten in some serious financial problems, and and was afraid that the law was going to come looking for him. And he was not the kind of person that would do well in prison. And so over the weekend, he left the country. He drove from Clayton, Georgia to Guatemala. So he would be outside of extradition, invisible. Nobody would know where he was. And in the process, because he was the, you know, the the president of the company and rotated around him in the process the business just quit just stopped so you know friday afternoon we have a we have a business and monday morning nothing no income no business everything is just completely closed and so oh wow okay i'm you know i'm paying off my house i've got a family that i'm trying to feed and i've got to make some money and what do i do i don't know and so I went to, uh, I've, I've always been interested in, you know, lots of different things, creative things. And so I had the, a woodworking project that I wanted to do. I wanted to make a little desk out of an old pump organ. So I went to a friend of mine who had a wood shop and I asked him if I could come and use his tools. And he said, oh, sure, no problem. And so I brought my little pump organ, an antique pump organ. And before I started working on that, I was kind of fascinated with the, very organic kind of wiggly furniture. And I thought I'll make a coffee table for the house first. So I started working on this, uh, you know, getting some interesting wiggly pieces of wood out of the 
forest and built a, this beautiful little coffee table out of dogwood and heart pine and um, and it was really fun. And then, then, then I thought, well, maybe I'll make a, a little uh, side table. And so I make, started making little crafty kind of things and, uh, and then put them in a gallery up in Highlands, which is kind of a very upscale area here. So, so now a few of my little pieces are selling in Highlands and somebody from Highlands comes in and sees this and wants to uh, mantle, a big fancy mantle for their cabin. Up in and so I made this big mahogany, beautiful foot uh, raised panel and, you know, turned out really cool. And the next thing I know, I'm getting commissions to build furniture. So I'm, so life brought me to the place where I could be playing. I'm not, you know, I just play all the time, but, um, so I'm playing, making wood and de designing furniture and people are calling up and asking for special pieces. And, and so, so by just getting active, by just becoming involved, um, this whole process, you know, emerged and I had a whole new career for a while building furniture. So that's fun. And like, and, and, you know, I could tell you a hundred stories like this, not a hundred, maybe 50, um, of, circumstances where not sure what to do but you just do you go out and you just get involved and find out and and in the process of getting engaged then life begins to support us life begins to invite us to do things life begins to bring all the stuff together the grace of god brings together what we need when we need it and we're supported and we're moved ahead you know and so and this, you know, I did this for several years, and 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 that turned out to lead to uh, restoring an antique, an old old house. And that process, uh, you know, the owner was uh, transferred and turned over his coffee company. So now I'm running a gourmet coffee company. I didn't I didn't set out to do any of these things. Life continues to invite, you know. So as long as we're on the playing field, acting, then we find that. You know, one opportunity leads to another. Life continues to invite us, and and it becomes this wonderful journey. And and it also gives us the ability to kind of get used to being uncertain about what's going to happen next, but we know it's going to work out fine. You know, uncertain. I don't know what's going to happen next, and and I realized that I didn't know what was going to happen next many many years ago and i just got comfortable with that so i don't live in fear anxiety i don't worry you know the world goes crazy and it's like okay well there's still opportunities out here It'll, you know the world still needs people that'll help you know be solid and show up and um, support what's happening and and we're all in this together so it's not like i'm gonna be you know picked out and, and made a victim in this everybody's going to be in the same situation so we just continues to be this amazing journey so we don't want to be attached to inaction either to be self-possessed resolute act without any thought of results open to success or failure this equanimity this is yoga so we don't know how it's going to work out we don't we just don't know we never know. Remember the little story from the other day about the, the farmer whose horse ran away. You never know. And 
you know, I was, same situation when I was invited, uh, back, it was back in uh, 1978. So I had been uh, attending this meditation class and then, and then uh, Arlie Gaines, my teacher had uh, encouraged me to start teaching meditation. So within a couple of years, I was uh, serving groups, talking for churches and uh, yoga groups and, and out teaching meditation. And then, uh, and then Arlie was transferred away from the, out of the States. And so I took over the meditation class cause, cause I had the house, you know? So, um, so we would meet in my house once a week and meditate and have a little class, little inner, you know, a little lesson. And in 1978, uh, on one of his trips, Roy, I told Roy, I'm, I'm ready to quit my job as a photographer. I've, I've done everything I can do here. I've learned everything I can learn. And I don't want to, I don't want to hang out for 25 years and, you know, wait for the gold watch or something. I want to continue, you know, to, to learn and grow and expand. And so his response was, well, why don't you come back to CSA and work with me? So I thought, wow, you know, what an opportunity. I, I am called to this ministry. I love the teaching. I love meditation. I love interaction. And it's something that not, I love and it seems to work. People respond. And so, you know, what a great opportunity. And and how do you know if you're really called to the ministry, if this is really something that you're supposed to be doing on a full-time basis, or if it's something that you can do to support as you go along, it doesn't have to be full-time. You can still be, still be working, having a life and working and, and offering a class from time to time. Um, so how do you know if you're supposed to, if it's, if your life is to be in service? And so this invitation comes, Roy says, well, come back and work with me at CSA. And I thought, wow, this is, this is how we find out, you know, this is how I'm going to find out whether or not this is supposed to be my life or not. Of course, I'm still Arjuna because, you know, at this point, my wife is, uh, ha is works at a big ticket agency. And so we have front row seats and backstage passes to every event that's going on in the San Francisco Bay area from the ballet and the symphony orchestra to all the rock concerts, everything. And we have, you know, friends, I've got a house, two motorcycles. And how do you just walk away from that? You know, that's, that's interesting. But this invitation presents itself. I tell my wife that night, You'll never guess what Roy said, and <laughs> and my, you know my thought is I, I just don't know how this could possibly work. And her response was, "Well, if that's what you really want to do, let's do it." So this was, you know, this is a big invitation. And so you know, I made arrangements. I gave my boss six months' notice. We sold everything, basically everything except for some clothes and records, and. Uh, uh, got in a little 14-foot U-Haul truck and drove across the country and landed here in Lakemont, Georgia. And totally, I had no idea what I was going to be doing when I got here. We didn't have, Roy and I didn't have any agreement about what he was going to have me do. He just said, come and help. So I showed up to come and help. No idea where we're going from here. And, 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 
Um, and but I learned very quickly, you know, yes, this is what I was supposed to be doing uh, in one form or another. And life continues, has continued to invite, you know, into this area, into that area, into these creative pursuits and into um, to deeper levels of the ministry and also deeper levels of realization in the process of of studying and the process of regular meditation and the process of contemplation you know year after year after year there is always this unfolding always new revelation always coming back to you know our friend krishna here in the bhagavad-gita and and seeing from a new angle seeing a new insight you know i've read this book a hundred times and every time i read it it's like wow i don't remember seeing that before at least not in that way, because we're not the same when we come back to it. See, when we come back to it, we've had some life experience, and then we see it, and we go, "Oh, that's what he's talking about. Oh, that's what's real." You see, so it's useful to come back again and again here to the yoga of insight. Pitiful are those who acting are attached to their actions' fruits. So we're not doing what we do in order to produce some effect in the future. We do what we do because we can do it and because we're invited and because it feels like the right thing. See? The wise man lets go of all the results, whether good or bad, and is focused on action alone. Yoga is skill in actions. Yoga is skill in action. So we do what we do and we do it skillfully. We do it with our full attention. Whatever we decide we're going to do, we should do it the very best we possibly can. Without worrying about the results, without being concerned about how is this going to work out, you see? There was a time I spent another career as an illustrator. I was painting book covers, magazines and book covers, and mostly science fiction and fantasy. Traded my camera in for a paintbrush, and... Uh, and some of the sometimes some of the interior illustrations for the science fiction magazines paid very little. You know, it was maybe seventy-five, a hundred dollars for a full-page illustration, and I would spend a week, you know, building some props and taking a picture and getting the shading just right, and then doing the rendering and getting it perfect. And I'd spend you know a whole week, forty hours for a hundred dollars. But I was the best that I could do. I was always doing the best that I could do, um, whatever the project happened to be, whether I got paid for it or not. This was a, this is a discipline to always, you know, the yoga of action is to always be doing the very best we can, and don't worry about how it's going to come out because it'll be fine. You know, this all this time and this energy going into things that are not really paying off do pay off you know eventually connections happen and um and much better paying jobs and other you know other things unfold and it just all works it just all works the wise man whose insight is firm relinquishing the fruits of action is freed from the bondage of rebirth and attains <clears throat> and attains a place beyond sorrow freed from the bondage of rebirth and the place beyond sorrow. So when we're acting because we can act, we're acting for the sake of action alone. We're not concerned about the future, not concerned about the effects. We live fulfilled. 
we're living on purpose. It's enough. And so we're not worried, we're not anxious, we're not resentful because things are not working, because we don't care about how, whether they're working or not. We care about doing the best we can, putting our full attention, our life into this moment. See, this is where we live. When your understanding has passed beyond the thicket of delusions, there's nothing that you need to learn, even from the most sacred scripture. Indifferent to scriptures, your mind stands by itself, unmoving, absorbed in deep meditation. This is the essence of yoga. So we can be grounded in our awareness and our experience of meditation, which gives us the realization, the experience of what we really are. And then having that experience, we move into life and we're engaged mindfully, consciously all the time. So, so then Arjuna asks Krishna, here, this is the, the last part of chapter two. He, he asks, now he's going, okay, well, I've heard all this and, and I'm, I'm with you, you know, but how do you, would you describe the man whose wisdom is steadfast? How does the wise man speak? How does he sit, stand, and walk? So, so this life that you are, this way of being that you're describing to me, you know, what's the actuality? How does someone live that has acquired these characteristics, that has sort of signed up for this direction? What's that like? And so Krishna responds now and says, when a man gives up all desires that emerge from the mind and rests contented in the self, by the self, he is called a man of firm wisdom. So gives up all desires that emerge from the mind. Now, it's important for us to remember here that we're not uh, suggesting that we give up all desires. We need to, there are, you know, we have to have certain desires met to live. We have to eat and, you know, sleep and get some exercise and interact and relate. So this is not a conversation about getting out of life, getting off the planet, but rather the desires that come from the restless mind, from, uh, from confusion, from habits, from conditionings, these have these things that come up. When we give up all desires that emerge from the mind, then uh, then we are contented in the self by the self, self with a capital S. So we rest in our own awareness of our own being, of our own nature. There's nothing that we need to add to this. There's nothing that we need to do. We are whole and complete just by nature of being. So this is... This is a man of firm wisdom. He whose mind is untroubled by any misfortune, whose craving for pleasures has disappeared, who is free from greed, fear, anger, who is unattached to all things, who neither grieves nor rejoices if good things or bad things happen. This, <clears throat> that man is a man of firm wisdom. So, so whether things are happening that are wonderful, whether things that are happening are terrible, whether it's perceived to be good or bad, all these things we take with equanimity. We stay balanced, you know. So, so you know, something terrible happens. Like, you know, like I said, the tree falls on the house. And we can let that completely ruin our day or our week. Go, oh, no, this is terrible. And, um, you know, what kind of my bad karma? Somehow I did something wrong at some point, And now I'm being paid back or 
uh, or whatever, and we are, get upset and we maybe get angry, frustrated. Eventually, eventually what happens is we call somebody to get the tree off the house. And then we call somebody to fix the roof. This is what happens. So equanimity says the tree falls on the house and we go, oh, hmm, that happened. Better call the guy. We don't get upset. We don't put it on our Facebook page. We don't call everybody we know and complain about, oh, God, you would never guess what happened to me. The tree fell on the house. We don't live in that consciousness. We just take care of it. You know, if something happens that's negative, that is uh, challenging, you just deal with it. Eventually, you're going to deal with it anyway. So why not just deal with it instead of being upset? And something wonderful happens, you know, extra blessing, uh, some grace occurs, and we go, wow, that's really, I mean, we acknowledge that. We go, wow, that's really special. And I really, you know, appreciate the fact that this grace is active in my life. And thank you. And, and we don't put that on our Facebook page. And we don't call our friends and say, you'll never guess what happened. It's an amazing thing. Um, and I've learned in my life, my experience has been um, that these amazing things are happening all the time. I mean, I wouldn't have enough time to sit down and keep posting all this on my Facebook page and telling everybody because every day is a blessing. And every day there's some new things that are emerging and unfolding. And, uh, and again, my life has been very blessed. I'm the you know, first one to admit that. Um, and so, so we take it in stride. You see, equanimity says, if it's good, great. If it's bad, okay. And we continue to do what we need to do. We continue to live on purpose. We continue to have our life and we live with intention and a direction and we allow this process to unfold and show up for it. So this is wisdom. Wisdom is to be able to see with equanimity whatever's happening and take it in stride. Um, you know, we don't get angry and upset and resentful and feel victimized. These are all not useful. They waste our life force, our energy, and they take our attention away from life. You know, wow, I could, I could be spending the next 10 minutes being really resentful about what this person did to me, or I could spend the next 10 minutes looking out the window and listening to the birds, you know, conversing with my Bhagavad Gita, I can do something useful or I can sit here and be upset, be angry, feel victimized, feel sorry for myself. It's always a choice, you know, and we are making that choice all the time. If we're mindful, you know, if we're wise, then we always make the choice to do the thing that's useful and it's supportive and it's, you know, it brings us our peace and our happiness and our joy, not the emotional uh, squishy stuff, as Roy would say, you know, but rather the joy of being, the joy of living, the joy of life expressing that's always available. And we can do that. Um, uh, sense objects fade for the abstinent. Sense objects fade for the abstinent. So we're abstaining from putting our attention out, our senses out, and, and looking for more stimulation. If we abstain from the extra stimulation, then then, this, then these objects, they tend to lose their energy, lose their juice. They tend to subside somewhat. 
yet the craving for them continues. So the, so the sense objects fade, we're not quite as attached, but they're still underneath, they're still, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm in harmony with life. Ayurveda says, be asleep before 10 o'clock and then you can get up early with the, you know, meditate when the sun comes up. And, and, uh, and so I'm being, I'm being good, I'm abstinent, I'm not watching the late news. Uh, I know Buffy the Vampire Slayer comes on at 11 and I'm always curious about what's happening and are we, you know, gonna ever finally, you know, allow ourselves to live vampire free. Um, these are all important things, but I'm abstaining. So, so I'm now I'm not doing that. I'm going to bed by 10 o'clock. You know, I'm being a good boy. And, but they're still underneath. I still wonder what's happening with Buffy and whether the guys are working it out. And so they're still underneath this craving. And then he says, but even the craving vanishes for someone who has seen the truth. So once we start to see the truth, and the truth is that these desires, these impulses, these compulsions, these things that are attracting us to more sensory input, to more stimulation, these things um, are really really not useful. They don't really uh, serve us in the long run. All they do is distract us. Because every time that we are successful in acquiring something to stimulate the senses, to get more stimulation, to activate, every time we do this, we find that the stimulation wears off. That, that whatever was enough stimulation before, it doesn't serve now. It, and because it wears off, we look for more stimulation. And so there, there is this cycle of anticipation. I'm going to get to watch Buffy. And so the, you know, so we have the, the hormones squirting little uh, an, uh, anticipation, juice of anticipation, and we start to feel good and excited. Mm, oh boy. So, uh, so we have this uh, dopamine that is, um, you know, cocktail that is, turning us on and making us anticipating and making us feel good. So we get the dopamine rush from anticipation and then we watch the show and it's like, Oh, it's almost over. It's where, you know, we're not going to be engaged anymore. And finally it's over. What, you know, we have to wait till next week and now we're depressed. You know, the stimulation's gone. What are we going to do? And, um, and we've seen this evolution now because of, um, because of the change in television and, and delivery systems is so now people wait until the whole season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is available on Netflix and then they get the popcorn out and they spend two days and they watch all the Buffy the Vampire Slayer for the whole season in two days, you know, binge watching. Stimulation, stimulation, stimulation. And what happens at the end of two days of Buffy the Vampire Slayer is wow, I have to wait a whole nother year for the next season. You know, so this cycle, we see this cycle. And, the, and so if we're, just maybe I can just stop this in the middle and there are other ways to feel whole and complete without this cycle of stimulation and depression and, you know, stuff. So restraining the senses, disciplined he should focus his whole mind on me. When the senses are in control, 
that man is a man of firm wisdom. So we, we focus our attention on God. Krishna is higher consciousness. Focus our attention on what's real. I am an aspect of God. God is expressing to all these forms. I can pay attention to this. I can live in this reality, this awareness. And this becomes much more fulfilling uh, in life than the ups and downs of, you know, sense stimulation. And, uh, you know, as the ABC's Wide World of Sports back in the 70s used to have a tagline, the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. You know, every time you have a football game or something was happening, you'd always talk about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And this is life. You know, most people are experiencing the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, and it goes on and on and on. There's another way to be, you know. Krishna is saying, you know, we can rise above that. We can be always grounded and, and experiencing the fulfillment of awakening, of awareness, of self-realization. And that's enough. It's more. He says, if a man keeps dwelling on sense objects, then attachment to them arises. And from attachment, desire flares up. And from desire, anger is born. And from anger, confusion follows. And from confusion, weakness of memory. And weak memory, weak understanding. And weak understanding leads to ruin. So we talked about this yesterday. So here is this, you know, this degradation of awareness as a result of too much attachment to the senses. But the man who's self-controlled, who meets the objects of the senses with neither craving nor aversion, will, <clears throat> will attain serenity at last. Meets the objects of the senses, the things that we engage in in the world, without uh, craving and without aversion, without attachment, without aversion. We take what comes and we, do, and we um, uh, treat with it, we engage with it mindfully appropriately and so we you know we engage it's okay to have desires and it's okay to live but we want to do so in a way that we are, we're always grounded in serenity all of his sorrows disappear at once forever when his heart has become serene his understanding is steadfast when we're no longer upset by the worries and concerns and anxieties, by the conditionings, all these things. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? You know, am I, have I worried about all the things that really need to be worried about? You know, this is, this is where we are. And, and we think, I'm sure, something, you know, I'm forgetting something in here. And so, we, you know, live in this anxiety. Instead, we can just be grounded and take care of what comes as it comes, and stay steadfast. The undisciplined have no wisdom, no one-pointed concentration. With no concentration, no peace. With no concentration, no peace. And with no peace, where can joy be? With no concentration, no peace. And without peace, how can we experience joy? So, so Krishna is saying, you know, this is... To, you know, this is the, the trick. We have to learn to be focused, to concentrate in concentration, in becoming steadfast in ourself. We experience peace, and from this peace, we experience joy. And when the peace is disturbed, there is no joy, no harmony, and things go a little wobbly.
When the mind constantly runs after the wandering senses, it drives away wisdom, like the wind blowing a ship off course. When the mind constantly runs after the wandering senses, it drives away wisdom, like the wind blowing a ship off course. So we are distracted, you know, we are uh, taken off of our course. We're no longer living mindfully and consciously when we allow the impulses of the senses to start dragging us around, to tell us, you know, we need to go do this and we need to have that. And if I only got this together, then things would be well. You see, we project into the future how it's going to be so much better if we can just follow this desire, if we can, you know, get the right car, the right house, the right job, the right relationship, you know, the right whatever they're selling on, uh, you know, on television these days, whatever we've discovered, you know, constantly discovering things. I'm constantly discovering things that I didn't know I needed. You know, fortunately, advertisers are helpfully um, showing me all the things that I didn't know I needed. And, um, and so we can become a little, you know, discerning and go, well, maybe I really don't need that. You know, maybe that's not important. So instead of being, dragged around by the senses, we can be steadfast and be focused. And so Arjuna, when someone is able to withdraw his senses from every object of sensation, that man is a man of firm wisdom. In the night of all beings, the wise man sees only the radiance of the self. So when everyone else is, what everyone else is asleep to, they're, lack of understanding, lack of awareness of this spiritual dimension of life. So for the night of all beings, the wise man sees only the radiance of the self. The self, God is all that's expressing as me, as everything. Just this one uh, beautiful, expressive, radiant being. But the sense world where all beings are awake, for him is as dark as night. So where everyone else is engaged and in fully involved in the senses and life uh, where that's happening. The wise one sees that as night that is, um, doesn't participate, doesn't see the, the benefit in that. So, so we can either be grounded, self-aware and, and aware of the radiant beauty and expression of life, or we can be dragged around by the senses. It's basically the choice. The man whom, whom desires enter as rivers flow into the sea, filled, yet always unmoving, that man finds perfect peace. The man whom desires enter as rivers flow into the sea. So the sea is filled, always filling, always coming, and always serene, always the same. And so in this way, we can uh, experience perfect peace. So abandoning all desires, acting without craving, free from all the thoughts of I and mine, what's in it for me, that mind finds utter peace. So no longer what's in it for me, no longer think about I am doing this and I am creating this and taking you know, responsibility and reinforcing my ego. But instead, we give up the desires, we give up the expectations about the future we give up expectations about what people are going to think about us we give up all that and we just live grounded aware awake and then we find peace 
And so finally he says, this is the divine state, Arjuna, absorbed in it everywhere, always, even at the moment of death, he vanishes into God's bliss. So here we are experiencing peace, harmony, letting go of the ego, the sense of separation, being committed to the actions that we are called to be committed to without expectations for results for the future and living harmoniously with concentration comes peace and with peace comes joy. So the recommendation is, you know, that we live joyfully and now we know how to do it. And there's a question on the chat. (laughs) The question was, did you ever get a flat? I never had a flat when I did not have a spare tire. And I had a flat, actually, when I was, this was many years later when I was living here, I got a flat tire on the way to Atlanta, and I was going through Gainesville, Georgia, and I had a blowout. And the blowout was exactly at the off-ramp. At the bottom of the off-ramp was a, a garage that I pulled into, and they changed the tire. So, you know, th- this is grace. I mean, these things just happen. It just works out. So yes, tires go flat. Carry your split, your spare, please. Um, but even in the midst of, you know, uncomfortable situations and little things that are a little dramatic, it always works out. So we just have to have faith and trust and move with the process and don't get too upset when it's not working and don't get too excited when it is working, you know, be equanimity, be grounded. And we can do that. Okay. Uh, oh, questions. Is the script for Arjuna's for our story already written before the story's performance begins? Um, well, that's, that's, that's kind of a, a bigger question. Is like, do we have free will or is, is uh, everything self-determined? And the answer is both. You know, it's a little paradoxical, but uh, there is a great deal of predetermination about our life. And we have a great deal of complicity in directing it. And so, so yes, we have free will. And yes, there's a predetermination. And, um, and we can talk about that at more length um, when we have some more time. Uh, did you sell your motorcycles and give all that up? Yeah. <laughs> I sold the motorcycles. I uh, gave my, do- my beautiful little dog to the kids across the street that loved it. Everything. I mean, we had it. We actually had a garage sale to get rid of all of our stuff. And the, my wife, I was still working kind of to the last minute. My wife was, uh, was home. She had already quit her job. And so the garage sale was supposed to start on Friday morning at nine o'clock, I think. And we had all of our stuff, everything out in the garage, all packed up and prepared to spend the weekend, you know, letting go of our life's treasures. Um, Eight o'clock before an hour before the thing was supposed to start, the guy shows up and knocks on the door. I was at work, uh, knocks on the door and says, I, I know I'm early. Is it possible for me to look at the stuff? And so my wife took him out to the garage in the front yard and, and he bought everything, Whoa. everything, the whole, everything, you know, it was like at a flea market or something. And, Everything we had was gone like that, not having to, wouldn't have to sit out there and sell stuff, took the whole thing. Um, and somebody came and bought my car that weekend and 
I mean, everything just happened. And I gave my motorcycles to my brother. And um, so it's very, very interesting how grace supports us. It really does. Also, a wonderful reading of The Eternal Way is available on the CSA website. Yes, years ago, many years ago, I read the entire book, the uh, Roy's whole book of The Eternal Way. And so you can listen to that on the CSA website. So that's, uh, you know, just an audio version. And it's the whole book, all the commentary, everything. Um, so if you have uh, many hours, I forget how many hours, it's a long, long work. Um, but it was a lot of fun to do, and and that's available too. Yeah. So thank you for reminding me that. And so that's enough for today. It's uh, time for lunch here in Georgia, and probably supper over there in in uh, Germany and Italy and Holland. And so go forth, be joy, be peaceful, so that you can be joyful. And we'll see you tomorrow.